Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, welcome again to North Main Street Church of God. Which Brandon would you like to preach for you this morning? Carl Fry, since you're the instigator, would you like to? I bet you would. <laughs> so we, I didn't hear that. I hope nobody else heard that. I didn't hear it either. So, hey, listen, um, we're continuing our series today on Love Does. If you've been with us any part of this year, we've been talking about love all year long. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. We've been talking about what it is, what it is not. But this month in October, we're talking about what it does. What does love do? Because love is an action word. It is something, not that we just say, it's something we do. It's what we live out, or what I should say, we should be living out. We love because God first loved us, yes? And so as we live and love the way God first loved us, we live out what we call this audacious love. So this love that comes from God is It's actually reckless. And I know that's some term that most of you don't like, many of you don't like, because we think God can't be reckless, can he? By the world's standards, what God does in showing his love looks reckless. Okay, by the world's standards, when we see what God does with his love, it looks reckless. So I have a question for you this morning to kick our time off together, and that is, who is the greatest disciple of love in the New Testament? If you had to pick one character other than Jesus, I know Jesus is already on the tip of your tongue. If you had to pick one disciple of Jesus, that is the true and honest example of love in the New Testament, who would it be? Okay, let's God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus aside. Did you say John or God? John. Oh, John, okay. Well, you, you might think that, right? Because in the Gospel of John, what is his main focus? It's love. He's talking about Jesus as love. The Messiah is love. It's where we find John 3, 16, where he's ta- Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But no, it's not John. Boaz? What'd you say? Paul, because 1 Corinthians 13, he gave us a very clear picture of love. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not rude, self-seeking, it doesn't boast, blah, 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 all the way down the line. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We've been actually using Paul's definition of love up to this point all year long, right? No, it's not. It is Peter. But do you know why? I'm gonna tell you why. It is Peter because he asked Jesus to pray to heal his mother-in-law. The greatest act of audacious love. Scripture, specifically the New Testament. It's true. I asked your husband about this, and he said it's, 
<laughs> he said it's true. All right. What is audacious love? What is the example of audacious love? What I had to do this week in trying to figure out, okay, come back to me now. Because some of you guys are like, that is horrible. I love my mother-in-law. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, I love mine too. Uh, audacious love. Audacious love. What is audacious love? God's love is audacious. But what is audacious? What does it really mean? So I looked it up in the dictionary, and this is the definition of audacious. It means to be extremely bold or daring. It means to be recklessly brave or fearless. So to say that God's love is audacious, in essence, is to say that God's love is extremely bold and daring. It is recklessly brave, and it is fearless. The Apostle John, one of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples, some of you who thought he was the greatest example of love outside of Jesus in the New Testament, writes a letter in the New Testament called 1 John. He writes a letter called 2 John and 3 John as well. He writes the Gospel of John, and most scholars believe he wrote the last book of the whole Bible called Revelation. But notwithstanding, 1 John, in just a few small chapters, gives us this amazing glimpse, not only into the heart of God, but into the heart of what God's followers should look like. And in 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7, listen to what John writes to the church in the first century. Dear friends, he says, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, before you take this completely out of context, as the world often does, it says, well, unbelievers love. They love their families, they love their kids, they love their moms and dads, most of them do. One of the distinctive features, though, of this passage of Scripture is that John is writing to the church. Keep that in mind. And the church is not a place. It's a people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who we call Jesus Christ. They have surrendered their lives to Christ. So yes, unbelievers love, or those who don't believe in a God do love, but they love partially. They can't love completely. Now I say that, it sounds like a bold and audacious statement to say that. But when we look at the greatest commandments, what, are the greatest, what is the greatest commandment Jesus tells us? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. But he says there's a second one that's just like it. You can't take the one without the other. The second one is like it, it is to love your neighbor as yourself. When we talk about love, and we've talked about it all year, like I mentioned, when we read these and we translate it over from the Greek, do you know the word that John uses, that Jesus uses for love in the New Testament? Agape. Agape love. There are four different words for love in the Greek language, the ancient Greek language. And, and you've heard me say this, I sound like a broken record, but hang on with me for just a second. Four different words for love in the, New or excuse me, in the Greek language, and three of those are mentioned in the New Testament. The most dominant one that's mentioned in the New Testament is agape love. 
okay? And there is one word for love in the English language. So when we read the scripture through the, the lens of the English language, sometimes we miss things that we don't realize that are there. When we love, we should love with an agape type of love. And as I mentioned earlier in the year, agape love is unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless love. Unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless. To love that way requires a transformation of the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. When God, or when Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he is saying agape the Lord your God and agape your neighbor as yourself. Eros love is a romantic love that a husband and wife have for each other or a boyfriend and a girlfriend. They're infatuated. They have this eros love for one another. Philos love, which is another Greek word, is, is a kind of brotherly love, like, uh, you know, best friend type love. And the storge love is a familial love. I love my family. It's a different kind of love than a brotherly love like friendship love, and it's a different kind of love than, than a romantic type love. See, agape love supersedes all of them. And when it says, and when we talk about God loving audaciously, it means we love this way because he first loved us. This is what we read, right, in the New Testament. We love not out of our own strength and power, we love because he first loved us. That's how it works. We agape because he first agaped us. Christianity is what made the word agape a real word. It didn't come onto the scene prior to the first century. It was actually invented because of Jesus. Okay? So let's look at this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves agape is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not agape does not know God, for God is agape. Okay? God showed how much he loved us by doing what? By sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. How much did God love us? How much did God agape us? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. How do we have eternal life through him? Well, the same guy who wrote this letter wrote the Gospel of John, and I just mentioned John 3.16 a minute ago, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God showed us that kind of love by sending his son Jesus so that we could have eternal life through him as we believe in Jesus. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's what that kind of love does. That kind of love is sacrificial. Almost everybody loves their family or their friends. Now, Notwithstanding, there are some family and friends that have betrayed and hurt us, and you don't have that kind of love for them anymore. But the typical person in the typical family loves their family, and they love their friends. 
But see, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. That is not audacious love. That is normal, familial, or friendship love. The kind of love that we have can only come from God because nobody can love that way without having God in them. It's real love, not that we love God, but he, he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Who's in charge in that regard? God's in charge. But doesn't it stand to reason that we would want that kind of a God in charge of our lives? that loves that audaciously, Does, doesn't it stand to reason that that's the kind of God that can be trusted? Even when we might not always understand why the outcomes of situations aren't the way we hope they would be. Now there's another thing about God's love and God's presence that has to be understood. Wait, let me go into the next passage first. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So here's what this is saying. Nobody has ever seen God. Moses begged God, can I please see you face to face? He's on Mount Sinai, please let me see you. And God says, uh-uh. And why does he say, uh-uh? He says, uh-uh, because He's trying to protect Moses. Don't look at me, I'm hideous. It's not, that's what he's, that's not what God's saying. God says, Moses, you can't see me face to face because if you see me, you'll die. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because the sheer weight of the glorious perfection of the almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot stand fully and expressively in the presence of sinful man because we would die. The sheer weight of his glory would be so crushing to stand in the presence of that this physical body could not withstand the weight of that kind of love. I mentioned, gosh, it's going on two years ago. I had a sabbatical in January of 2018. And I thought I knew what God's love was as a pastor. I'm 44 years old now. I preach on God's love. We're doing a whole series this year on God's love. I know what his word says about it. I can parse the Greek and the English and all of that. But I went away on sabbatical a year and a half ago. And every year I go on this hunt for something I want to know more about to grow deeper in a relationship with God. And that, uh, two years ago it was like, I know love here, but I wanna know more about it. So I gathered resources and books and I went to Guatemala because there's a retreat down there where there's a mission that my wife and I and my oldest daughter have gone to to do mission work. But they also have a retreat for ministers and missionaries. It's a quiet place in Guatemala City. It stands up on top of a ridge looking out over the city and there's a volcano way off in the distance and you can see it spitting smoke and just this amazing place. And as I'm sitting there reading and studying and I'm journaling and I'm writing about God's love, Something happens. 
Actually, it happens on the plane on the way down. I, <laughs> I watched the shack in the in-flight movie queue. And uh, perfect, ex- <laughs> perfect example of, of actually probing the depths of what God's love looks like. <laughs> I'm a bubbling mess on the plane. I'm watching this and there's these two burly guys next to me and they're watching, you know, whatever adventure shows or, you know, and, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> and I am not a crier. I don't carry that around with pride, but I am snorting and slopping and it is not pretty because I'm watching this and I'm putting myself in the main character's place. And I I know that there've been times that I felt the way he did in the story because he lost his youngest daughter to an abduction and a murder. And he's asking God, why? I can't believe in you. For, why would you allow this to happen? And through the whole story, God is intervening in his life and showing him the depths of his agape love in spite of tragedy. And I'm on the plane. <laughs> like this, just and I am a bumbling idiot by the time I get off the plane. I'm grabbing my bags. I'm being picked up by one of the people that came to get me. And, and, and that's how my week started. And as I'm there and I'm journaling and I'm writing and I'm reading, I wake up at seven in the morning. And, First thing I do is pray, and then I'm like, God, meet me in this place today. You know what God started doing? He started meeting me in that place. You see, God honors it when we seek him with our whole hearts. And about a year and a half ago, I said, God, I want to meet with you, and I want to learn more about your love. But as I got closer to that love, you know what started happening to me? I got scared. As I got closer to the throne room of that grace and that agape love, I got fearful. I got nervous. I started to have a panic attack. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack. I'm on medication for panic attacks, full disclosure. I've dealt with it my whole life. I started to have one and I felt it. I knew it was coming. I'm like, what is wrong? I'm, I'm seeking you. I'm, but as I got closer and closer, he started pulling back the veil and he pulled a little bit more back and a little bit more back. And I started to see the full glimpse or a partial glimpse of something that I hadn't seen before. And it's that me standing in the face of this almighty, majestic, agape loving God Made me feel humbled. There's no real human words to express what I felt. The closest I could come to that, and I've mentioned this to you guys before within the past year and a half, is whenever the angel of the Lord appears to regular men and women in scripture, what is their first response? Oh no! They get down and they bury their face in the ground. Why? Because they're scared. Why are they scared? Because, and this is the direct result of this, they say, I have seen the face of God and I can't live. It's been a year and a half and I haven't been back there. I didn't last 20 days. I lasted seven. 
I lasted seven days. My, my time there, we'd already paid for it. My flight wasn't to leave for another couple weeks. But in the depth of my fear of being that close in intimacy to an almighty, loving God, scared me out of my mind. What do you do with that? Because he begins to reveal to you things that in spite of your failure, in spite of your unlovableness, I still love you. There's nothing you could do to not be loved by me, Brandon. And I theoretically knew it. I knew it in my mind. I mean, I love knowledge. I love to learn. I love to read. I love to teach. But I knew God's agape love on a theoretical level. I never knew it on an intimate level. And some of you don't know how to deal with God's love on an intimate level either. You're in the same boat with me. You, you want to know it, but for whatever reason, because of issues in your past or history, you've gotten to this place where you're like, I, I, I don't like intimacy with anybody. I'm not talking about physical sexual intimacy here, but I don't like being intimate with anybody. I don't like being that close. I don't like, and, and, and the reality is, in order to be truly free, we have to not only receive that kind of love, but we have to give that kind of love. And that kind of love is not only agape love, it's an audacious kind of love. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been grievously and horribly hurt by people that were supposed to love you with an agape love or a storge love, or a philos love, or maybe even an eros love, but they abused that love. And it has painfully wounded you. And you may feel unlovable because of the scars and the woundedness, maybe through sexual assault or sexual abuse, maybe through physical abuse, maybe through emotional abuse where you were told you were unlovable. There's nothing good about you. And it may not have been from your family. Maybe it was from a close friend or a teacher, professor. Maybe it was from a spouse, an ex-spouse. And so we start to believe the lie of the enemy that God, who truly loves, would not have allowed any of this stuff to happen if he truly loved me with an agape love. But the problem is we live in a fallen and broken world that is, that is so beyond what God desired for it. And here's one of the things about agape love, if I can just pause for a minute, and it's this. In order for God's love to be selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional, it has to be willingly chosen do you understand that? You, God will not force that love on you. See, this is what's so audacious about that love. He loves in spite of whether or not we are lovable. He loves no matter what we do, where we go, or how we treat that love. And this is why the world says that kind of love is reckless. That's the kind of love the world doesn't know and looks at it and says, that's foolish love, that's reckless love, that's stupid love. But is it? 
So where does sin and death come from? Well, you can say indirectly it comes from God because he created the world in such a way that the possibility for evil to exist was there. And so that when they rejected and disobeyed God, Adam and Eve, the first humans, then that opened the door for all of this atrocious stuff to enter the world. So God is to blame. And that's what the enemy would want us to do. That's what the enemy's been doing since the beginning of time. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. Did God say you shouldn't eat of any fruit of the garden, Adam and Eve? Speaking to Eve specifically? Well, no, it's just this one tree. Oh, no, 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 no. You won't die if you eat that tree. God knows if you eat it, you'll become just like him, both good and evil. He's withholding something from you. And how often, as a pastor, do I hear people say the same thing? If God really loved, if God really was all-powerful, then he would fill in the blank. And we continue to perpetuate the lie of the enemy some how long later? But he still continues to love in spite of all of this mess that we find ourselves in. I've gone off on a tangent. One of the other passages of Scripture, real quickly, and I want to go through this, is Jacob. Jacob has betrayed his brother Esau. If you remember a few months ago, we did a series on Jacob and Esau. And Jacob tricks his brother Esau uh, into, uh, into giving him uh, his birthright over a bowl of soup. And Esau is so stomach hungry after coming in that he's like, yeah, whatever. What good is it to me? Because they're younger. The birthright doesn't effect until dad dies so who knows how many generate or how many decades it was until that happened so he's like what is that to me and so he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup and then Jacob tricks his father Isaac into blessing him as the firstborn instead of Esau who was the actual firstborn if you remember the story Isaac is near to blind at this point and doesn't know who's standing in his presence, but mama has helped Jacob out a little bit by putting on animal skins because Esau was a hairy beast and, and smelled like the field, which means he smelled like poo or manure or the game lands or whatever. And somehow, somehow, Jacob tricks Isaac into blessing him. So now we find ourselves, Esau says, I hate my brother, and I will kill him. So Jacob takes off running. He goes to his uncle Laban's house, but he stops off. We find him in Beersheba. He was traveling toward Haran, and at sundown he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep, and he slept. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth to heaven, and he saw angels of God going up and down on this stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. When you see the Lord, the word Lord, all caps like that, it means Yahweh. That is the name God told Moses at the burning bush. Who shall I say is sending me? And God says, Yahweh, I am that I am. 
And the Lord was there, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, however, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Stop. What has Jacob just done? Has he been an honorable guy, respectful and doing the right things in the right ways? And what does God tell him? I'm going to be with you. I'll protect you. Wait a minute. That's not fair. Why? He's a scoundrel. His name actually means heel grabber or supplanter or deceiver. Why does he get the promise? You see, that's how we look at it. But see, God sees things in a complete different light. Unless you trust him as a God of agape love, who loves you as much as he loves anybody else, you will not understand when he makes decisions that throw you for a loop. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid because he'd been in the presence of God. And he said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. I believe that God is around us on a daily basis. And I believe only those of us with eyes to see and ears to hear are able to see the movement and the presence of the Almighty. But there are many of us, me included, that wander around aimlessly in our day-to-day -day schedules, too busy to even stop to breathe. And I think we miss these stairways to heaven, and I'm not talking about the song. <laughs> I think we miss these opportunities to see the presence of the Almighty God in and around us on a daily basis. To the point that we are so distracted by our own doing that we're blind. I don't want to live like a blind man wandering around this earth for 70-ish years or more. Coming to the end of my days saying, what was all of this about anyway? If I could go back again, I would do it differently. If I, could, if I could just change a few things, if I could live life differently, I would go back and change this or do that. Because isn't hindsight 2020? Oh, things always look different in the rearview mirror. But we weren't created for the rearview mirror. We were created for the windshield to look out to drive in the present, to see where we're going, and to continue to head there regardless of the obstacles. You see, God's love for us is audacious and so 
must ours be. God's love for us is audacious, and so must ours be. The first point, really quickly, I'm not going to hit exhaustively all these points. If you want to know more, see me after service. But God shows his audacious love for us through his son. What did John tell us? John told us this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son to the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What other religion on the face of this earth has ever had their God be the one to climb up on a cross and have his hands nailed there and to die. That does not look like success. It looks like defeat unless you're looking at it from God's perspective. And God knew that you and I could not save ourselves. See, the God of heaven and earth does not demand a system of rights and wrongs. And he says, well, if your rights outweigh your wrongs in the long run, you'll be with me in heaven, like Islam does or other religions do. It's not based on what we do. It's based on all that he did. And so what looks like foolishness to the world is truly wiser than the, than the most wisest thing that the earth has ever produced. And Jesus hangs there and he says just very few words in those six hours from noon to six o'clock that day, hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As the thief on the cross is hanging next to him and the other thief on the other side, one is cursing him and mocking him and the other says, no, 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 don't you mock him. And then he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus, who was dying this atrocious, horrible death, having been beaten nearly to death before hanging on the cross, turning, looking at him with this crown of thorns, mocking his divinity, says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Audacious love. Not thinking of the pain of the cross, but thinking about the guy next to him and saying, I got you. I haven't forgotten you. What kind of God would do that? To forsake himself for us. God's love is audacious because he took what was a horrible implement of execution and turned it into a symbol of redemption so that now we hang it around our necks and hang it on our walls as a symbol of art that stands for something more than just a crossbeam. The second thing we know is that since God showed us his love for us through his son, we also ought to love one another, and we cannot love one another with this agape love without loving God first. Dear friends, John says, since God loved us that much, how much did he love us? That much, the cross. Since he loved us that much, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but when they see us loving one another, guess what they see? They see God. 
I'm reminded of John chapter 14. Jesus is with his disciples, and I quote this all the time. Forgive me for my redundancy, but it, it brings, brings home this point. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you because in my Father's house there are many, many rooms, but you can't go there yet. I will come back and get you. And Thomas says, just show us the way, Jesus. And you remember Jesus' response to that in verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Thomas. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. What is he saying? (laughs) You know how to get to where I'm going because I'm the way. You've been with me for three years. You've seen what I've done. You know who I am. But I have to go to the Father. And then Philip, the other disciple, says, but well, okay, fine. Just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. <laughs> Jesus' words are so amazing. He says, seriously, Philip? Okay, that's my addition on there. I know you're not supposed to add to or take away. This is the Brandon version. Because I could just picture Jesus going, Ugh. Philip, have I not been with you this long and you still don't know me? What is he saying in that moment? When you hear any atheist or agnostic say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. He never claimed to be God. Well, in that moment, when he's talking to Philip and Philip says, Philip says, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, have I not been with you this long and you still don't know me? What is Jesus saying? He follows it up with saying, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are, what are, what are he and the Father? Not two, three, but one. Because we don't believe in a polytheistic structure of God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God in three persons. And Jesus rightly says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one, Philip. And so now he says, you need to love one another because nobody has ever seen God. And when you love one another, guess what they see? No, 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 no. Guess who they see? When we love each other with an agape love, when we love our enemy with an agape love, when we love the unlovable with an agape love, people see the almighty God. What the world needs now, (laughs) what's the song? Is love, sweet love. Even the broken and unbelieving world knows that. And we know the answer. And yet we do this. We sit down and we put our hands under our butt cheeks. (laughs) You is right. And we do this. And we say, I believe in Jesus and I love everybody, even my enemies. And this is what we do, church. Church, look at me. We click our heels. There's no place like home, right? I love, woohoo! God says, you don't, you don't love like that. Read Philippians chapter two. 
our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, what was his attitude? (laughs) Well, it says he emptied himself. He physically had to do something. He emptied himself of some of his glory because nobody had seen God up to that point. He emptied himself of some of his glory. He took the form of a human, John tells us in John chapter one. But in Philippians two, it said he emptied himself. And you know what he did? Said he served. What is the very nature of God? John tells us that God is love. What does love do? It doesn't sit on its butt and on its hands. It gets up and it does. It does to the point of even being willing to die for the object of its love. Lastly, not only should we be aware of God's love around us, we should be aware of the opportunities to love him and love others every day. Slow down. I'm telling me as much as I'm telling you. Slow down. We uh, are back to the ice storm in the, in the winter, this past winter. We had branches galore come out of our trees in our backyard. We have these two beautiful, huge trees that shade and, and uh, are pretty awesome in our backyard. We love them. We hung a swing. Well, first year we moved there, going on five years ago now, actually, uh, I hung a swing up, a rope swing with a, a board where you sit on it and you just kind of swing whichever way you want to. Um, I hung one of those up. It had been there for nearly four years before the ice storm this past winter and guess which limb broke on that tree yeah so since spring whenever the weather started getting warmer guess what i promised my kids i would do i'm gonna get a new swing guess when i put it up (laughs) because i'm too busy well i got hung up about two to three weeks ago and I had an opportunity, because I had a board meeting uh, on Tuesday night late, and I decided I'm going to go home a little bit early today, and I'm just going to rest before I have to go anywhere. I went home, and I laid on that swing, because it can hold uh, 700 pounds. So <laughs> I made sure to get one that I could swing on too. But it's a large 48-inch round swing, and I hung it on a different tree, the, a different one closer to the porch, so I don't have to walk all the way across the yard to swing the kids now because I'm lazy. And uh, I laid on that, laid back. I got a pillow from uh, the, the living room. And guess what I saw? The sky. One of the first cloudless days and only cloudless days we will probably see in Pennsylvania this year. But I'm looking at the sky through the leaves of the oak tree that I'm swinging under and I see squirrels getting the acorns and gnawing away at the acorn. I see birds, no, the rope did not break. (laughs) And you're still wearing that shirt. Mm -mm -mm -mm. 
and I see evidence of God's beauty. And I think, why don't I do this more, God? Why, why don't I stop to smell the roses more? And I've convinced myself that I have to prove myself to everybody else. I've convinced myself that I have to prove myself to God in order to earn his love in some weird, twisted way of thinking. The more I do for him, the more he's gonna love me. The more I do for the church, the more they'll appreciate me. The more I do for this, that, or the other person, the more they'll like me. You see, the enemy isn't just a lion lion who prowls around seeking whom he may devour, but oftentimes he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. The distractions of life are subtle, and they eat away at our souls to the point where they distract us from seeing the very presence of the Almighty in our backyards. Here's your homework assignment this week as our worship team comes forward. Take some time this week to be an observer. And I hear you now saying, I don't have time. Make time. A couple weeks ago, I said, quit something this week. Quit something this week and allow yourself time to sit and observe. Go to the mall. Hey, Brandon told me to go to the mall. (laughs) Don't go to shop because you're distracted when you shop. Go and sit and watch. Go to the park if it's warm enough for you. If it's not, take a blanket. Sit and watch. Go to places where the general public will be and watch. Because here's what you'll begin to notice if you're looking through the lens of God, is that God, I'm looking to find you. Guess what God will show you when you're looking for him? He'll show you himself. Maybe you'll observe somebody helping somebody across the street. You might observe somebody opening a door for somebody else. Where do you see evidence of God moving and working around you? And they may be small. You may not notice them at first, but when you tune yourself in to what God is doing and to where he is, he even works in ways that we can't see unless we're willing to stop and look. Jacob said, How is it that I was in this place and I didn't even know that God was here? He thought he was just bedding down for the night. And God pulled back the veil and said, no, 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 I'm right here with you. And I want you to see something significant. That's your homework assignment. The other thing is this. Some of you know what I'm talking about in regard to intimacy. Some of you haven't even considered going into that throne room because you're afraid of being vulnerable. You're afraid of seeing what God sees. You're afraid of seeing that reflection of who you are in contrast to who he is, and it makes you feel uncomfortable. But maybe he wants you to face those things to show you that I love you in spite of them and I love you enough not to leave you there because I want to walk with you through them. That deep, dark valley of the shadow of death, I want to be with you, but you've got to go through it. In order for you to go through it, you have to be vulnerable. 
Again, I said it's been a year and a half since I've been back there because I've been so afraid. But I've been hearing the still small voice of God recently saying, I need you to come back. It's time. Do you want to know what I'm wrestling with right now? Is taking that first step. Take the first step. Take it today. It will scare you to death. But it'll be worth it, I promise. Father, we love you. And we know that you love us. But we don't want to just know it with an intellectual style of knowledge. Help us to know your love intimately the way you intimately know us and love us. In that process, help us to be fully surrendered to that love as we love you because you first loved us. And help us to love others as you have loved us, even at our worst. Help us not to only be conduits of your grace, but conduits of your audacious and seemingly reckless love. And we do pray all of these things in your precious son, Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.